0: Welcome to Earth, A Love Story. I'm your host, Robin Lasseter. I'm back. Here I am. Just returned from a conference in New York. As many of you may know, J. Christopher King and others are putting out a series of Inquire Anomalous conferences, or for those of you who know it by its longer name, An Inquiry into Anomalous Experiences and the Phenomenon. I have never been in a conference that opened with such wild and authentic applause, with such a palpable warmth and excitement filling the room. Well done and thank you to Jay and James and Leslie Kane, Alex Dietrich, Josh Cutchins, Paul H. Smith, Peter Skafish, Michael Masters, Tim Gallaudet, and Diana Pasolka. And a very warm and special shout out to all of the experiencers who showed up, It was amazing to connect with you. I leave these things feeling a ringing in my bones that says, I am with my people and I would do anything for you. It's extraordinary every time I'm around experiencers and every time it is a million percent worth being drawn out of my little valley into the big weird world, even though I'm terrible at travel. This time, I took a nearly 90-hour journey by train to get there and back. My first train ride ever. For whatever reason, my body has become completely intolerant to travel by airplane. Maybe all of those early (laughs) abduction experiences that landed in my body like trauma finally caught up with me. Or maybe it's something more prosaic. Maybe my physical body just doesn't want to be that far away from the earth ever again because I love her so much. For whatever reason, I found myself on a train. It was fun and strange, and going from rural Colorado into the heart of New York City was like journeying through a long, slow portal into another world. Much of it was deeply uncomfortable, scrunched into my little coach seat that would lay almost, but not quite flat enough for me to sleep. And oddly, it was excruciatingly lonely. I went through another gateway of grief around relationships and love lost and why that part of my life is so hard for me. And I don't know why that all came up on this trip. I blame our collective romanticizing of train travel. And of course, I would do it all again in a heartbeat. I know that going through those gateways of grief always lead to relief. Thank you to my dear friends and colleagues, and honestly nothing less than soul family, for all of your wisdom and kindness and care. I cannot wait until I get to see you again. For this episode of the podcast, I speak to Daniel Rekshon. Daniel is an author, a professional hypnotist, and a dream worker. He's here today to talk about his latest book, Missing Time Found, Don't Worry, It's Just a Dream, a new and old hypothesis regarding ET, NHI contact, and UFO-UAP-associated missing time. Holy shit, right? I know Daniel from the Experiencer group, and so I know him to be thoughtful and nuanced in his ideas and discernment. Even still, when I saw the title of the book, I was worried for a minute does he think that experiencers are quote-unquote just dreaming? We get into that question right away in the interview, and he gets into it right away in his book. Rest assured, what he's proposing is as wild and nuanced as the phenomenon itself. As a way of preparing you for this exciting and dynamic conversation that stretched the edges of my mind in the best ways, I offer this poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Some of you may recognize it as the opening quote from chapter five of my book, Earth, a Love Story. If you've read the book or listened to me read it on this podcast, you know how appropriate this poem feels to that time in my life. It is also utterly appropriate for this conversation with Daniel. What if you slept? And what if in your sleep you dreamed? And what if in your dream you went to heaven? And there plucked a strange and beautiful flower. And what if, when you awoke, you had that flower in your hand? Ah, what then? Samuel Taylor Coleridge And now, please enjoy my conversation with Daniel Rekshon.
1: Yeah, so I uh, I wrote the book Missing Time Found. This is my second major book i've written um both the books are written in collaboration with uh non-human intelligences that i identify as dream characters so that's the claim i'm making in my literature is these are dream characters that may or may not have an ontological existence outside of myself i say probably they say yeah definitely here's some proof um and so i get to figure that out but i'm i'm using the books mostly as a way to document my experiences, as well as communicate the insights that they're providing to me in a scholarly language that contributes to scholarly dialogue. Um, So that's really the mission I'm working with. And specifically, they've got me working with, or I'm working with missing time, the missing time phenomena, which is commonly associated with alien abduction and uh, geometry. So, and um, both of those relate to dreams in a kind of complex way that uh is really simple when you kind of see it you go, oh of course it makes sense um so that's where i'm at that's why i'm talking to you now is about those books uh the the first book is called book of galactic light second book is missing time found and i wrote six other books in the past that were illustrated metaphysical prose poems uh documenting a lot of my experiences uh, generally with out of body experience. When I was uh, in my early 20s, I really got inspired by the work of uh, Kandinsky and his work concerning the spiritual and art. Um, and so he really says the role of the artist is to be like a priest, to go ahead, to contact the divine, to bring back something that can feed the people, basically. It's sort of like he used the Eucharist as a, a metaphor. So I did a lot of landscape painting at the time after college, but then I felt I needed to balance that outer expression with an inner journey. So that's where the dream studies really came in. I started learning tarot cards. I started doing, um, dream work. I started doing meditations out of body experience and the NHIs, the whoever they are, right. Um, they, they showed up, they took me on a journey and that, cracked me open to start receiving something like downloads uh that i would write i did about six of them and then um the uh, stops being inspired to do books and just moved on but i had another project which was around dreams and you know this sort of quantitative analysis of dreams across the world that really inspired me for nearly a decade um is is delving into um all the education i needed to work on that and all the technical stuff to work on that to bring together a database of dreams to analyze them to find patterns across uh across that people can get to that work at uh i think it's dictionary.dreamwellbewell.com. that's sort of a an offering of the free offering of the mobile app i have uh with a a team dreamwell um and so it, it quantifies like 200,000 reports or a hundred thousand dreams, something crazy like that. You see like, Oh yeah, actually like 4% of people are dreaming of of like aliens, like, and they have these sort of qualities to them. Um, So that was, that was in part some of the work I was inspired to do um, in relationship to them. And I got training and education in psychology during uh, that inspiration uh, training in shamanism, energy work. Like I did, I lived in a Bay area and I did like anything. It was sort of like a candy land. Um, so I, I, basically worked for like two years straight full time in a, a startup goodreads.com. So I was like paid well, I was like doing interesting work and on the weekends and I, I was just go to these things. And then I, I, then I got two overwhelmed with my extracurriculars and and jumped into a master's program i got trained in hypnotherapy in the school of depth hypnosis at that time to really work with people i was deeply inspired by the work of dolores cannon and the notion that i could talk to people who have talked to aliens right like that sort of thing was so inspiring to me uh and i i got the training to practice i didn't do any practice well i did practice with people um for about a year and then I had a gap um until 2020 and then I I reactivated around that I am and I'll I'll stop talking uh very shortly but um the experience I had I mean as a kid I thought I was an abductee I very very I was terrified of the subject I had all the signs and whatever like I have memories back then that are not recovered through hypnosis or dreams but concrete memories of encounters that my, that I, as a child, I talked about in fantastic terms. And I asked my twin brother, I asked my mom, do you remember me talking about these things? And they were like, yeah, it was super weird. We're like, you usually don't lie. And you're smarter than making up a stupid lie. Like the Easter bunny visited you last night. Like that just doesn't make sense to us. I thought that was weird. That's what my twin brother said when I asked him. Um, and that was like an experience when I was like three. Um, so I've had these experiences all my life. And I, now I consider myself someone who believes they've been abducted or something like that, but not necessarily. I don't actually know if that was physical or anything like that, but I know there was contact that happened. And, um, the message I get is, uh, for me, particularly, they haven't been too forceful in the, in the physical manifestations because they wanted me to be able to discern, the underlying truth of things. So can I, can I, can I perceive the dream as real as physical reality? They'd visit me in dreams and occasionally in physical reality. And they go, do you notice the two are similar? And so that there was a sort of strong training with that. So now when I work with people and hear their stories, I don't necessarily ask, is it a dream or is it real? I know it's all real and it's meaningful through different modes of knowledge or meaning making, and that could be through physical, historic testimony, kind of understanding, or this sort of transformative spiritual growth path associated with dreams.
0: I am so excited to talk to you. That's all amazing.
1: I my mind
0: is pinging in like a hundred different directions. Um, I really want to get into the meat of of it, but first I want to to go back a little bit. So you said. You know pretty quickly that you got into dream work and also mentioned out-of-body experience and that you know did you cultivate being able to go out of body intentionally or did these did out-of-body experiences happen to you like they did to me and then i grew more i grew to have more agency in them over time or did you do practices that actually let you consciously leave and return
1: Um, most of the time it's an assisted experience. Uh, so when I was a kid, I believe, I believe I had dreams or out of body experiences. I have concrete memories of entity encounters that would only happen in out of body. I have, um, very strong memories of dreams that are not dreams, right? Like that, that sort of thing. Um, And so I believe that was assisted at that level. And then when I was, I mean, up to the point of 18 or 19, I was sort of swimming in it. I didn't even know you. It's like there's not there's not enough distance to understand what was happening. My best understanding was uh, given to me by like uh, the fundamental church I was going to like a baptist church and it was pretty much like my my soul was taken over by demons and like brought to hell to sort of like tempt me into i don't know satanism something crazy like that but i i just i i went to bed every day for like years just praying to jesus that i wouldn't die or get stuck in those spaces i went to and i i developed these sort of like uh sigil processes over my chakras to like seal them in that kind of thing just because the experiences I have were having were a variety from nightmare to transcendent, and i I wasn't making sense of them, and I didn't have concepts to integrate them into my reality, so it just sort of they happened. I woke up from them uh that that was it I kept going and then when um I mean, I encountered the Dao De Ching, actually uh, when I was like, oh, "This Baptist stuff doesn't make any sense." Let me expand out that, that—that sort of had a feeling of expression that I would recognize from those spaces. Um, but then after college, I, I spent a year uh, managing a nonprofit art gallery in rural Georgia. There was like nothing to do except for me and this uh, elderly lady would <laughs> learn about metaphysics together. And she, I, I have a degree in philosophy. And so she was like, oh, you must love metaphysics. So I was like, yeah, I do actually, I love talking about metaphysics, like Aristotle is great. She's like, oh, how about Robert, Robert Monroe journeys out of body metaphysics. And I was like, oh, wow. So I follow that sort of, uh, progression of practicing. Most of my experiences of out of body were set within the dream dream time. So like three 30, that very common, that sort of like wake up in between phases of sleep, remarkable things happening, physical things happening, thinking I woke up and didn't uh, was happening. Um, and then I got to a point after that journey phase, they, they said, you have to consciously be able to do this. Like you have to do this. And you're not going to get a job until you do this. (laughs) So so they were like, you got to, you got to do this. And I was like living in San Francisco in my brother's kitchen, sleeping on the floor or whatever. And I was like, I just need a job. I just have to figure this out. Um, and I did. And I I had one experience where I consciously induced the out of body state. I biocated consciousness to the projected, uh, double, basically whatever they call it. Um, and I, was in my body, uh, feeling that at the same time, and I was able basically to fly out of the corner of the room, spin around the neighborhood in three hundred and sixty awareness, and then the vibrations just just overwhelmed me. I came back in the next day. I got called in for a job, uh, and and then I got distracted by life generally. And it takes so much energy. It took so much energy back then.
0: Wow. Yeah, there's so much resonance there, so much resonance. I had, just to reflect, you know, back to you, I had um, many years where the experiences felt, you put it a really nice way, assisted. And to me, they felt, you know, terrifying and like I was, you know, being taken for a long time. And then then it became easier over time and became a more, um, I focused more on the magical or the extraordinary aspect of it. And then there did come a time, and this is just in the last few years, where they said, "Okay, now you have to learn how to do it on your own." So you're the only other person that I've heard say that that they were given those clear instructions. I also like, I mean, in a, (laughs) I like that they uh, put a barrier in front of you, like you can't you can't get a job until you do this. That's so uh, like them. So often (laughs) they just don't. um, It seems to me my. Beings that I'm in contact with, anyway don't have a ton of compassion for the like work, uh, money, life experience. They there's no malice. It's just not the most important thing in those realms. It's these other really deep things. So that's really really interesting.
1: Yeah, they're telling me things like that again too. The, the maintain awareness from waking uh, to dreaming to deep dreamless sleep and back. Sort of that that that's sort of the the goal of a lot of, uh, mindfulness practice and like lucid dreaming practice. And they say like, you got to do this. Like we we told you to do this. I mean, like I have dates on when they told me to do that. I haven't done the work. Uh, I mean, I had a couple kids and like I'm doing a lot of other stuff. So, but it's, it's niggling. Um, they're, they're kind of constantly reminding me of that.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. It's, yeah, I'm really feeling a ton of resonance. Um, so what I was struck by when I started reading your book is, I'll be totally honest, I felt a little uncomfortable. I felt a little bit like, is he saying this is just a dream, just a dream as our collective con- our collective uh, kind of overculture defines what a dream is and how in the Western world, we center waking life over everything else. Like this is the only real thing, nothing else is real. And so when I first got into it, I was really feeling that like, I I have my personal journey has been to really to center my own knowing to center my body to be both embodied and in contact with these other worlds and to hold that paradox and so as I continued to read and really felt and saw that that was your uh, it seemed to be what you were saying as well that you're not saying that dreams aren't real you're saying that dreams are very real just as real as waking life and the implication. And please, I want you to go on for a long time about this. And I don't know if I'm getting it exactly right, but the implication being that what we're being taught and shown is that actually reality is dreamlike, and both are real.
1: Yes, absolutely, perfect. Thank you. Uh, I, when I did this work, because it's like I'm working with people. Like this book comes out of. It's not my. It's it's not my journey. I present my journey as a case study in the book, but the the insights I present like four or five case studies of regression hypnosis traditional regression hypnosis practiced in for missing time this is like the stuff they used to do in the 90s like this is and I, I like practice that authentically with people and there's like uh there's a, a one case study Sandra she went she she she, she publicized our our regression it's in it's typical gray abduction for medical purposes under governmental conspiracy permissions and stuff like that. And she has like documented medical kind of issues related to it. And many of the, many of the experiences I work with have like a higher degree of documentation of UAP visitations or, or ET stuff than anyone else. But I'm saying, Oh, this is dreamlike. And I thought, Oh my God, like, I mean, and they were very clear. Like they were like, they, they wanted that sort of like missing time found. Don't worry. It's just a dream. That's like a little bit more, um, bravado than I might do. Um, And it's a little bit more paradoxical than I might personally do. But the other side really wanted that sort of paradox to come through, to have people go through that experience you did going like, is he saying it's just a dream? And then go like, wait a second, what is a dream? What is reality? Personally, I believe that dreams are a hyper real technology by which this waking world is generated. This is like this is the sort of thing I, I understand. So when I say it's just a dream, I'm hoping to invite people, experiencers who don't know about this history on this uh, journey of understanding the scholarly literature to support the notions that this waking world is dreamlike, that ET contact is dreamlike, and that means it's, it's more real. And there's specific ways it's dreamlike and more real sort of thing than waking. Um so i really wanted to inspire that with experiencers to be like oh how how is he saying this how can it be the case and then i also wanted to write a book where like the skeptics will will go like oh yeah of course it's just a dream i love that sleep paralysis so all these experiencers don't know what they're talking about let's see what he asks us to say and go wow actually western culture is suffering from a uh, bias. And I talk about it in the book. It's called it's like the monophasic bias thing. Only the phase of waking consciousness is real. Therefore, everything else is unreal. Therefore, dreamlike things are unreal. And all of the arguments I put out in the book, I hope will inspire people who read it to go, ah, yeah, it's dreamlike. It is real and uh let's see where we can go because there's certain implications about that like if it's dreamlike um it explains a lot um like why telepathy happens or how it's even possible is because we're dream characters in the mind of the cosmic dreamer or something like that and we're like you don't you don't worry about dream telepathy with your own dream characters at in nocturnal dreams at night having telepathy not not a lot of people actually remember verbal expressions or linguistic expressions in their dream it's usually like just knew it they just told me in the dream telepathy Um, and so we see that sort of just know it they just told me in telepathy in these encounters um, which makes me say okay there's another level of reality another just as waking is uh, just as dreaming as to waking so is waking to hyper reality or something like that and so Just as the nightmarish dream characters I have or the strange, fantastic dream characters I have in my nocturnal personal dreams are to waking life or the other dream characters, so too are me and the actual physical bodies of gray aliens that take Sandra or whatever. We are dream characters in this cosmic dreaming mind um, in that we're invited to participate at all levels of consciousness there. Um, And there's something about our dreaming mind that reveals that there is an underlying structure of consciousness that wants to develop too, right? So it's like, there's, there's so much in here where I'm not just saying like, oh, we're just in a dream. And it's not like the 90s sitcom, like it was just a dream. And, and they, they wake up, um, or I guess that's soap operas from the nineties. They would do that. It's just a dream. It's more to that for us. Yeah.
0: It's really, uh, elegant and I'm fine. I'm following everything that you're saying. And it's, I'm curious because it sounds like um, Tibetan Buddhism in a lot of ways. You know, it sounds like some of these spiritual lineages that have existed for a really long time. Did you have any of that um, background or foundation? Or does this all come to you through contact with NHI and the journey that they've led you on to study
1: these things? This? Yes. Uh, Yes and yes and yes. one of my first clear connections with an E.T. entity, and this is telepathic, uh, happened in Vermont at a Buddhist retreat center, Karma Choling. I was there for uh, several months living there uh, after after this experience. But in this experience, I had a month-long meditation. This is uh, Shambhala Buddhism, so that comes out of two of the major Tibetan Buddhist traditions. And I kept getting this vibe that there was a being here. And there were like, there were certain signs and symbols. I was like, I don't even know what this is. And it would tell me things. And mostly it was just these like higher state communications that are impossible to translate. Um, It's just like, oh yes, I get that. And um, that sort of higher state intuition, sort of assisted intuition, um, I'll talk about in the in in the future about the geometry because that's a very similar kind of thing that's happening they come they help us understand geometry by providing a pathway of intuition we get to do the work but we actually need the the balloons of our brains to be stretched out in that shape so this one in in karma was talking to me communicating with me like who is here tell me just show me who you are goes okay go to the go to the library open just like it's like open the books, you, you know how this works. It's synchronous book book magic, and so I did, and I see this image of Rahula, who is a uh, um, raffle deity, right? So these are raffle deities are typically um, demonic-looking deities in service to the Buddhist lineage um, that sort of converted to Buddhism. Rahula, interestingly, was from the edge of a galaxy, came to the Earth, was like, oh yeah, Buddhism's great. I'm going to stay here and protect Buddhism in the Earth. And there were certain signs and, uh, feelings and, um, you know, there he's associated with a duck in water. And like, for some reason I I got this jacket. I just absolutely loved it. It was a corduroy sport coat with ducks on the inside. And I was just like, I, I literally like wore it every day. It was like so weird for me to do it out of character, but I was like, I have to do it. And he, he was like, that's cause I I'm telling you these things. This is a sign for you to understand. This is me talking to you, I am this creature from this edge of the galaxy. It is a spirit. So that really deeply that informed a lot of my uh, explorations. Um, Tibetan Buddhism does absolutely um, shamanism, core shamanism from Michael Harner's work, but I studied with a Mexican curandera who who really grounded that in more less less masculine. Academic traditions, which is important to do because we need to embody these things and work with different principles here, uh, aka feminine principle. So, the insight I have that I want to absolutely communicate, and this is from the literature regarding the monophasic bias and the polyphasic bias, is 90% of Earth's cultures are polyphasic, only 10% or less are monophasic. And this only really happened in the last several hundred years. And one of the characteristics of these polyphasic cultures are honoring the dream state as real, but understanding that it requires interpretation. So we're not saying they're real like uh, apples falling from trees. We're saying they're real in some way. And for those cultures, it doesn't matter. Like So um, John Mack has a quote in one of his books. He talks in an indigenous book about flying saucers that pick them up and take them across the country or something like a taxi service and he goes are you making this up or is this real he's doesn't matter doesn't matter the same thing happens with lucid dreaming when you asked uh there's a researcher named Gackenbach who asked a cree dreamer hey do you guys lucid dream and they were like what does that even mean took like nine nine uh sessions to communicate that and the cree woman was like oh yeah i know what you're talking about no it doesn't matter um so we we value those things in the west They're not necessarily valued out there. And so I personally think that these level of contact is happening all the time, that it's just our Western viewpoint that doesn't acknowledge those realities, in that if we start scratching anywhere, like we're in this, the West is in this sort of uh, paper bag prison that's wet. You can poke through the holes if you want, but unless you do that, you don't see that reality. And so... Surrounding us is this notion that all of these things, imagination and dream, is real and impactful for uh, individual fortunes and collective fortunes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just have to say, I'm enjoying this conversation so much. <laughs> it's like my very, it's like my favorite topic: so dreaming and and what's real. And um, through my experiences, also, I came to deeply believe that this was just a human thing that returning or taking serious i call it taking seriously the sacred interior like if we take ourselves seriously and and grant it some reality then it informs us in incredible ways that don't feel i mean i would argue like there is some newness it feels like we're on like we're always on an edge of evolution that's you know continuing forward. But what this mostly feels like is remembering, like this deep remembering of like, oh, to be human is to have all of access to all of these things and to take it seriously and um, let it inform us and let it do the things that it does to uh, shamans or to experiencers or to people, basically these initiatory experiences that kind of Crack us open or shatter us in some way, and then send us on this journey, you know, to, uh, to grow and learn and evolve and become a bigger vessel to hold a bigger reality, basically. So it's really lining up with, <laughs> with things that I deeply believe. And the idea too that the West, we've lost so much and it feels, I feel like that we can feel that it's that we've made the world dead and it's heartbreaking it's just killing us you know and all of the all of the things that we see unfolding in the world are uh, con- you know deeply connected to that the fact that we've made the world dead so i think that it's really hopeful to hear all of this and it's hopeful to hear that like 90 percent of the world is not like this so maybe we can remember
1: oh yeah absolutely um <clears throat> i I am at you know there's a lot going on in the world now and there's a lot going on with disclosure and wars and whatever and i'm I'm very hopeful about it. One of the things that makes me very hopeful actually is understanding that um the abduction tales, so this is something that's really deep on my heart to talk about is the abduction tales and the negative abductions and all of that stuff because they are on one hand very real. Like you like you talk to people, you feel it. Like this is traumatic for them. They had these experiences. It doesn't matter if it's physical or non-physical, and likely it is more physical than we can comprehend. It's sort of my conclusion after talking to a number of these people um, and working with them. Um, and that said, every single person I've worked with in that capacity has chosen to open to a greater vision of the world chosen to go through the healing process of forgiveness of those ets forgiveness of the covert humans forgiveness of all of these things um and so there's so that's one part of the reason why i'm hopeful is that individuals individual humans really open up towards that at at least that's what i see and i think that's beautiful the other thing that makes me hopeful is around dream studies and so one of the things i know in dream studies is if you have nightmares and you have a deeper, they call it emotional valence between the negative and positivity in your dreams, you don't actually have to live out that cycle of going up and down in your life. You can be kind of like well-being and even keeled in your daytime life and like leave all the weird, weird stuff for the night. And actually there's a there's relationship between that. So we see that in individuals. And so I wonder what is the, if, if these, gray alien abduction type scenarios that are absolutely nightmarish. They are a deep pull of emotional valence for the collective dreams of this world. There's other transcendent experiences that don't get so much or hasn't haven't gotten so much publicity, but there, there's a strong valence and tension within the psyche of the West. And I think that you know, it, it'll it likely uh, propel us forward in a, a strong way uh, towards well-being um, once if we figure it out or how we, as, as it flows, basically. I, I don't know when that might be, but I'm hopeful about it.
0: I really love that. So this idea that as I'm translating it, you know, into my language and through my own experience, this idea that sort of the lower we go, the higher we can go, the deeper the shadow work the better access we have to the golden shadow for instance or something like that um is that am i catching it
1: yes that's uh, that's the idea yeah our dreams our nocturnal dreams particularly are a a place for us to do that and then if we are able and willing to do that and integrate those experiences like i mean yes absolutely in my own personal experience if we don't do that the world does it for us and we lose jobs or relationships or we, we addictions. I know that's a, an experience uh, that that's uh, a big on in your book. So um, that sort of stuff ends up happening or has happened in my life too, for those uh, reasons. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. The one of the hallmark qualities of my experiences is that I would not turn towards my own, you know, shadow, basically grief, agony, my own responsibility and what was happening. and uh, there was a conscious moment when I did that and I was well into my thirties. And before then it had been, you know, I was in what I would consider hell realms for a long time. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And also I'm thinking of two things that are just personally arising. And one of them is that I've been reading this book by Charlie Morley called dreaming through darkness. And it's fantastic. It's all about using lucid dream for shadow work. And it's, he's, he's a, uh, comes from the Vajrayana Tibetan Buddhist lineage. And so I've been reading it before sleep and doing shadow work as I sleep, but not, I haven't gotten lucid. I've gotten closer to lucidity. I've had a couple, I actually did a lucid test. Like I flipped my hand back and forth and it, nothing happens. I was like, Oh, I guess I am dream. You know, I guess I am awake. Like I didn't, it didn't snap me into the fact that I was dreaming, but um, having even the imagery of the dream itself doesn't, explain much like i don't have conscious access to exactly what was happening but the 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 emotions in the dream of like deep shame and defensiveness yeah and then awake you know waking up and feeling that same emotional feeling in my body along with like a physical like nausea and only after all of this like work and understanding of the dream world and shadow work and all of that did i think okay I don't need to perceive it with my rational waking mind, but this is shadow work happening in the dream world. And it's not fun. Like (laughs) those emotions aren't fun to feel the, you know, the Naga isn't, I don't feel good in that moment, but there's a part of me that's like, this is great. You know, this is great to let it happen here and let it kind of do its work beneath the surface. In a way that i don't have to maybe relive every single memory that's associated with this but it's unearthing something some type of psychic energy is being freed up it's doing the work it's doing the magic
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah so um with the abduction experience i would like to ask some specific questions about that and like slowly go through for my own self and for people who might, like, you did such a great job of threading the needle between these two, between the paradox, right? So skeptics might come in and be like, yeah, I knew it was just a dream. And then you can open their reality and then experiencers might come in and go, what is just a dream? And then opening that reality as well. So it's really beautifully done. Um, so I wonder if you can talk about, like, having a physical, somebody going through a, what feels like a very physical experience. And... Seeing things with their eyeballs, like in waking reality, uh, and the trauma from that, and all the things that happen in the body, and then how that relates to dreams or to it being dreamlike or reality being dreamlike.
1: Great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> there's that's a good question. Um, there's n- a number of ways there's overlap. Um, and so I'll talk from the skeptical perspective first uh then this is the perspective generally of the scientific community about abductions outside of the people like john mack and that that sort of crew so they they say okay abductions seem to be abductees seem to be really telling the truth about their own lived experience they But they seem to happen at night or around the bedroom but they sort of like are they really the case but they don't actually have physical evidences except for body marks some of the time uh but so it sort of looks like misidentified sleep paralysis is what they say and this this really comes from uh like like the Harvard work right after John Mack died. So it's like two scholars in Harvard were like, okay, let's run some studies about false memory. And they put up flyers in like local local head shops or new age places be like, Do you believe you were abducted by aliens? Talk to us. And they like made fun of experiencers in their book. It was like kind of uh, kind of distasteful. Uh they, they they just went they went straight to Crazy Town and just treated it a little bit like a skeptical spectacle, but they did do solid research. I mean, it's Harvard research. So as much, I mean, you know, honestly, there's a lot to say about, um, Harvard research. And if anyone needs to look, look up scandals and things like that around reproducibility and data prod, they probably should before they take the word of, uh, Harvard's scholars period straight up. And I'm saying this, uh, I will not necessarily go deeper into that sort of, uh, uh, I don't know mud flinging uh, than that, but there there is a strong evidence that the reproducibility of scientific papers aren't what we believe it to be because it is literally fraud. Uh, I mean, I, I get so worked up about this. Um, and how how can we trust them? Like, how can we trust them? They say they're they're doing objective science, but they're 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 just not. Uh, this is like head of Stanford. Is a is a data fraud. It's like it's just like is that there's like behavioral scientists in harvard data frauds and um is literally like copy pasting uh copy pasting uh images over and it's like like no one will find that out. You got I got I got riled up there um for a second because I was talking about the good research done by uh Susan Clancy and McNally about sleep paralysis and false memory. And they they made a couple observations and basically their findings revealed that abductees have uh like they're more fantasy prone and they have something called absorption or more obs- like absorption scales. So that means they like the loser boundaries, right? So it's like you fall into fantasies more, you have a less sense of like uh self and other. Um sometimes it's hard to figure out where the the insight or intuition is coming from. So they go, okay, these are all characteristics of abductees. This seems like it's fantasy. It's fantasy prone. It's It seems like it's fantasy. Interestingly, uh, so, so that's what they say. They say it's sleep paralysis, fantasy prone. They say it's schizotypal. They say, oh, well, schizotypal is not schizophrenia, but it's, it's just a personality thing, a syndrome. Uh, they sometimes medicalize it. Sometimes they don't. So in that way that research somewhat stands to say, hey, it is similar to sleep paralysis. And I, I actually say, yes, it is actually. I mean, if you look at the data behind the U- number of UFO sightings and when these encounters actually occur, they they really do occur around bedtime, around beds. And so the conclusion I I come to is the research was valid. They were seeing something, but they weren't coming to the right conclusion about the nature of reality, which is Dreams are real. These things are actually real. There's a couple of things that need to come into onto the table for us to really make this conclusion that abduction phenomena are dreamlike and dreams are real. And so, how this works is um, through the work of Stanley Krippner, who has been like a division chief of the APA. He's like a famous guy. Uh, he's done a lot of studies. He's, he's run dream labs. Uh, he. Basically says, okay, so there's dream enigmas. He studied dreams all his life. There's enigmas about dreams. We don't know how it happens. There's miraculous healings. There's telepathic dreams. There's shared dreaming. There's precognitive dreaming, retrocausal dreaming. There's dream apports, which is a huge, uh, a huge thing. He he claims there are is documentation of dream apportations, and apportation is the manifestation of physical objects from what is presumed to be a spiritual reality and so in the case he gives he goes this woman dreamt she was on a beautiful tropical beach she's in like i don't know like don't know, iowa or something i don't know and but she wakes up and there's a bunch of like tropical beach sand in her so how did that happen um is the question that's the enigma and i talk about the enigma because of dreaming that is recognized by this renowned dream scholar because it says, hey, there's a precedent for dream things to be actually real physically, and also precedent for them to change the body in a miraculous way, and also be associated with entity encounters and things like that. Um, So he says, hey, all these dream enigmas point point us to dream shamanism. That's where it should point us. If Western science wants to know the solution to this, it has to look at dream shamanism. And then so then in my inquiry, I went to what can we learn from shamanic dreaming? Uh, a paper again published in an APA journal, and I say APA because this—that's the creme de la creme of uh, psychological sciences, and, and so if it's in an APA journal, it's it's pretty much mainstream-ish uh, or mainstream enough to to talk about with uh, without snickers. Um, so that, that is the paper that describes the polyphasic and monophasic bias. That's the paper that says, all these polyphasic cultures acknowledge that dreams are real, but need interpretation. So we have the connection with sleep paralysis. We have the connection with fantasy proneness and absorption. We have the precedence of dream apports and miraculous healings. Krippner also did a cross-cultural study of exotic dreams. 8% of dreams in general are exotic. 1% of dreams kind of involve entity visitations, actually. Um, and it's across crossed the globe, people are experiencing these things. So this is that's all the factoids we need to know, okay, there's something happening here in the dream space involving entities, sleep paralysis, moving between dimensions, that sort of thing. The kicker for me was when I read an independent paper about how who remembers dreams. So I go, who remembers dreams? How, wh-? And uh, this, this was after the fact that I go like, okay, the only precedent we have for the abduction scenario, except for the abduction scenario itself or fairy stories, is unremembered REM dreaming. Excuse me, the only precedent for missing time is unremembered REM dreaming because when we dive into the intuitions of missing time, we encounter fantastic beings like the greys or whatever, or the, the abduction people. Um, so I looked as though like, who's remembering dreams in general? What does science say about that? And guess what? They say fantasy-prone people who may be characterized by the scale of absorption, which are the same exact people who report abductions. And that congruence of uh defining the populations between abductees and people who remember their dreams was not done by researchers who care about alien abduction. It was done as like independently. So we have independent researchers saying dreamers who remember their dreams are fantasy prone and they, they 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 have this quality of absorption. So are the same people that have uh memories of the abduction phenomena. Therefore, I say actually the um, the abductees are fantasy prone not because in general the they're making it up but because they remember their dreams more and these are dreamlike experiences and these are and so now we have to talk a little bit about dreamlike experiences and i want to expand it from the the interior world of nocturnal dreaming to more of the mystical implication that this life is a dream And that sort of thing but i want to pause to see if there's questions at this point
0: yeah yeah um i feel like i can talk to you for so long because i i do have questions i want to i i have i don't want to take you off track though so i'm going to have a question that i'm going to save for later but i guess and i think that you're going to get to this but i guess my biggest question is i wonder if what you're presenting because you said that sort of the NHI guided you to present this argument in this kind of way. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if you are um, presenting your own personal beliefs as well. And I guess the question that I'm getting at is if, is, and I think I've already nailed this down, but there's something still in me that's shying away from like the dream, it being too dreamlike and therefore negating the quote unquote reality of it, which I, I know is where you're going. So I guess the question is some sort of uh, physical in this world. Um, experience with a gray or experience with being taken on a craft. And my perception is you're saying, yes, that's real. And, in, and because it's real, it actually changes the nature of reality, not the other way around. The, the nature of reality doesn't preclude that these things are unreal. In fact, the exact opposite. Since these things are real, then reality must be more dreamlike
1: yes so yes um yeah this is the next step of the argument right so we're taking it from the nocturnal going like oh okay so we have this missing time thing during the day where we don't remember but actually if you pry into it it's very dreamlike and people who remember it or report it or something like it are fantasy prone and there's nocturnal experiences so then the argument goes okay so we have these real encounters with gray aliens, these are fantastic beings, right? So these are fantastic beings, and so we can look to the free survey uh, to say what what are the type of people uh, encountering? You know, what sort of what sort of space people are there? What sort of otherworldly people are there? They're mostly humans. They're sometimes grays. They're sometimes reptilian. They're sometimes robots. They're sometimes like a variety of things. But that's pretty much exactly what you described dreamlike, fantastic creatures to be. Uh, like it's really like is what we can imagine and i i actually think this is why okay so this this is why i'm doing it because i there's um i came to the conclusion that perhaps the missing time regression experience so i don't remember my experience i go to a hypnotist the hypnotist says oh okay it seems like gray aliens, this is very real. We need to do a real serious investigation doing objective research. And it looks like they're invading our reality to take things from us and do things and all sorts of nefarious purposes. And then you find corroborating evidences for that. And I, I thought, well, what actually, if that moment of Regression hypnosis is not regression hypnosis, but is a psi event that has not been identified as a psi event, meaning it is a telepathic event, it is a shamanic event, but it is not an event related to recovered memory, but we've been saying that for ten years or twenty years. Go, go on, yeah,
0: I just want to pause there because that is um I just and just to make sure that I'm tracking it again correctly, like I do what i call journeying or trance work but i was also trained as a as a hypnotherapist and my experience with i don't i I don't do a lot of regression hypnosis it's it is more like journeying and my experience with that is that it is i love that you're describing it as a psi event like the the hypnosis and that process itself is that what you're saying That that moment in real time when it's happening, not connected to maybe a memory that's being explored or something like that, but in real time in that moment is itself um, some sort of spiritually transformative event potentially. And the reason that I wanted to stop and catch that is because that really aligns with my experience of it. I tell people, you know, when I'm working with people, we don't approach it lightly. I kind of approach it like, if someone is interested in doing, you know, psychedelic journeying or something like that, which I don't, uh, and it's part of my sobriety, I don't do that anymore, but, um, and I don't help people do that, but the same kind of experience that, you know, going in, approaching some kind of event horizon, um, moving through that, a lot of similar themes, having some sort of contact or some sort of deep experience and then returning with that, And then bringing it through the body through integration all that does not seem to me what the western world thinks of as dreamlike or as you know just this kind of idle wandering into the psyche to see what's there it is an intense experience it's a life-changing experience and so i love that you're describing that as like the experience itself of uh, regression or of journeying or shamanic journeying is is the event it's not the the connection to the past event am i getting that
1: absolutely yeah absolutely i mean when i started practicing this i i had a magical event with a a, like a wonderful first client dan berg he's in the book um, but I realized like, oh, he, like le- very likely he interacted with time traveling space people. Like, like that's literally what he did. It's like, they might ha- not have bodies or they might have bodies when they want them. I don't know, but they, I, I was like pretty sure they're time traveling s- psychics. And so it's like, they're, I knew they were watching me. I knew they were watching him. Uh, they, they let me know in, in ominous dreamlike ways or whatever. So it's like what does a regression mean to that? Do we interact with that through memory? And I, I don't think we do um, at all, because I mean, in, in, this, in the journey space, you you interact sort of all the time. and the reason why I bring this up is because I thought, what if the people like Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs and all the, all the negatively biased, historically objectively oriented researchers, what if they are actually shamans? Facilitating shamanic journey, but they're doing it under false pretenses. They're they're not understanding it, is completely unconscious what they're doing because they don't know they're shamans and they don't know they're doing shamanic work. What would that do? And I go, like, well, it might have the horrible side effect of nefarious grays entering our world and stealing our genetics. It may actually be they have manifested their nightmares through working with thousands of people right like what and, and so that's why i'm putting out this book as i go like this is very real and this could be a very potent mode of inquiry and exploration and transformation but we have to move it from the fetishization of like 3d space and memory Right? Like, what if that actually is doing violence to this multi dimensional dreamlike experience of contact, which is telepathic, it is psionic, it is everything? Um, so what if us going, okay, so how many witnesses you got? Can they corroborate your story? What about the photographs? What did the scalpel look like? Right? Like, you can choose to focus on anything in a regression state, it doesn't have to be the invasive instruments, it can be the feeling state of the entities it can be anything you can you can bring things into this space and that is transformative and so i just feel so inspired by by the notion that these things are real actually that these dreamlike things are real and that we have a way of working with it and actually even if we don't understand it the kind of hypnotic experience that person-to-person experience where someone's so deeply absorbed in a fantasy sort of thing, right? But someone so distinctly holding a kind of single-pointed mindful concentration, like that is a is, is a potent dynamic that I think is activating to both parties and may actually be transformative uh, for the world in general. So um our practice and how we practice and the mindfulness we bring and the the non-judgment and the like that sort of thing is very important. The like non-dual kind of approach to it is very important because we can hold that without then forcing a collapse of the narrative into a specific direction about what the scalpel looked like and if there's an implant or whatever. We don't have to force that. It can be either or this or that. We're not sure what happened and that's fine. But the connection to those deeper soul streams of whatever the the entities or whatever, or whatever that connection is there can come, come in and we can receive the gifts of that multidimensional interaction. Um, And so we're away from the topic of uh, like reality and about this sort of um, reality of these experiences um, as dreamlike. Um, So I'm not saying, so I want to get back to that a little bit so we don't, don't forget it. Basically. The statement I'm saying is this this waking world is, is dreamlike and real, and that we probably have a series of nested proportions, like as our nocturnal life is to our waking life, so this is our waking life to this hyper-real life. So is that hyper-real life to some other thing? It goes up and down forever, and there's no end to it, um, sort of thing. So this nested false awakening thing forever. Um, and that's why, that's why you can take the Bodhisattva file though, that like that I think is, is because it's nested forever, it's beyond your comprehension, you're all of those things. And so you can even cut through that sort of indefinitivity in all directions, all the way to source. So the reason why I say that is because of the human initiated contact experience. There's, there's two reasons, two, two sources of objectively verifiable historic data that we can use to produce experiments to validate these ideas, right? And that is the human-initiated contact experience understood under the metaphor of lucid dreaming. So lucid dreaming, as you know, you become aware in your dream, but then you can express an intent within the dream, and the dream response to it. It doesn't respond the way you want it to some of the time, but there is a response. So in the same way, Um, And oftentimes the response is a manifestation of of fantastic beings and objects that express bizarre qualities like impossible physics by location, whatever. Those are the same qualities we see when we do a human-initiated contact experience, or CE5, where we generate mindfulness, we express an intention, we observe the results, and some of the time, fantastic beings come into our presence to uh, manifest impossible physics like ufos and give us a gift of transformation or wisdom and that really what happens so that's one source of the data the other source of the data that we can start objectively working with is geometry actually because and this is this this connection just like blows my mind all the time i think about it there's one peer-reviewed paper about using dreams and dream telepathy as an instrument of seti so seti is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence Most of the time they use radio telescopes to send messages or receive messages. They haven't received any messages and like like billion dollars that have been spent. uh, That really gets me uh, because I could use a little funding uh, in my research. (laughs) I'd rather it go. I mean, like just it just drives They they, they've raised like 200 million dollars recently said he did to do more radio bullshit. And um, I, I will I have a lot to say about that. But um, the thing I will say uh, with this sort of SETI experience, there's one paper in the world that's been written and peer-reviewed about SETI and use of dreams in SETI. And they say, okay, seems like it's a good method. Dream telepathy is validated by Kripner. It's, it's It has meta-analysis against, uh, like, supporting it. So dream telepathy is real. You can have mind-to-mind communication with people. It looks like it's going to be non-local, meaning you can do it instantaneously. And I don't think the authors of the paper were dream scholars by any means. But uh, if I, I'm saying, you know, if if you study the world's dreams history, you, you know that entities interact and give geometry to humans. That's what happens. They give technology. They give political insight they give mathematical insight um the mathematicians the brilliant ones say that the poor the not so brilliant mathematicians will be like oh it's all that's working with our our hard hard science and and whatever and they'll take credit for it but it, it's actually these sort of magical interactions that happen in dream that's really inspiring and, and transformative so they say the presence of geometry and the solution of geometry would authenticate dreams as uh, 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 if if it's a message from an et and it has math beyond our capability then it's probably a dream from an et like let's believe it right so that's what they say this paper came out 10 years ago and i i like i mean it has like four citations like nobody nobody's talking about it Um, but I think it's it's fascinating that that's the established precedent in our scientific literature. The only thing is, is expect to see, and that's what I see in relationship to the human-initiated contact experience is, is people, if they film UAPs, and this have have been filmed, they pulsate in specific patterns, or they're in formations, and those are geometric formations that are precise and beautiful and elegant and communicate aesthetic meaning and spiritual meaning and may actually encode messages as well so in this way we have the the physical experimental data of people going out trying to make contact with this sort of telepathy and receiving anomalous geometry back which says to me right like sort of like kind of feels like oh we're in this dream. we're in a dream that's at that this dream is real this life is real but it's also dreamlike and we know that because we can do the same things in in nocturnal dreams aka become mindful, express intention, have an encounter with an entity who provides spiritually transformative mathematical insights that likely will change the world. Uh, That's been done in the past. That's been proven. Like Einstein, Descartes, Plato, Bohr, all these people, they've done that. They've proven it to us. We're talking because of those insights. And now we can actually go out with a camera and say, hey, okay, entities show up. And People, Nobody understands this geometry. Like I've, I'm the only person in the world that I know of who has applied Euclidean geometry to these. And there's one other person I know of who works in CE5, and we're, we'll be writing a book, fingers crossed, together shortly. Um, he's receiving similar insights and talking about it, but everyone else just sort of goes, oh, all right. And it's, it's, such, it's been such a disappointment to me And such a learning because this came about when I did a very deep analysis of a contact uh, CE5 event held at the Monroe Institute. It was put together by intelligence community, kind of individuals, sort of lurky, um, to kind of bring Chris Bledsoe to the Monroe Institute, surrounded by academic scientists and other experiencers to see what happens, record data. They record 40 minutes of a pulsating light geosynchronous that sh- that simultaneously brought down communication networks. The thing doesn't move. It moves like four pixels over 40 minutes. It pulsates in, in this light. Director of on Canada says it's a UAP. It's not a satellite. Colonel John Alexander writes a Yeah, an intro to the book. This comment, like uh, Chris Bledsoe writes a book, UFO of God. This is this is the culmination of that. This is like the UFO of God, and Jim Semivan as well writes a forward to that book. So all these people have known about this. Forty minutes of blinking lights that responded to human intention, and I've demonstrated there is mathematically precise intervals within all of those pulsations and that it is a geometry that is highly similar to uh, the only other documentation of UAPs in association with missing time. And I've demonstrated that it has like three different ways to like encode meaning or whatever. And I, it might also be a geosynchronous satellite, and I, I don't know, but it, it it's like that to me feels like a SETI message akin to Something similar to In Contact, the movie where Jodie Foster receives a message. All these people are like, oh my God, there's a message. And it's like, I've been shouting this for as loud as I can shout it. And everyone's like, oh, okay, whatever, right? Like, sounds good. Let me know when you got something. I'm like, there's like literally geometry pulsating in the sky that responded to human intention and has been filmed. Like, what more do you want world? Um, I went on a rant there. Thank you for your very opening patient listening space.
0: It's my great pleasure, and it's I'm really, really fascinated. I'm really fascinated. I feel like um, I feel like you're rocking the boat a little bit, and I think that that's a great thing. Even talking about the um, regression stuff with Bud Hopkins, and that that we need to evolve on from that, from the certainty around around the findings of that. It's a very kind of controversial and edgy thing to say in this world. I think in this world, like our world, the experiencer world so it feels to me like you're really pushing the boundaries and that you're at the edges and that's a really it's like an exciting dynamic place to be and the other thing and i was thinking about contact when you said that there were those were the visuals that were running through my head about that movie and about receiving that message and you know everyone trying to decipher it or the movie arrival you know what is this what are we being told what are we being given and the other thing that i'll say is that i've seen experiencers come forward with complex beautiful mathematical ideas equations some sort of physics that we haven't seen and try to to have it taken seriously and it just isn't and it is i can absolutely see why that is would be maddening and it is maddening i experience things through my my physical body what i'm sensing and feeling in my physical body as you're talking and what it what this feels like to me is that it's edgy it's on the edge and it's on the outer edge of of a, a subject and culture that is so brand new even though of course there's been research for you know decades and you know but it's just now coming out like talk about sort of dreams and the shadow it's just coming out of the shadow of the collective unconscious we're just starting to look at it and see it there's a lot of people who can't even wrap their heads around when like understandably so right that reality is not what we think it is that it may be dreamlike that these things exist at all even in a, a nuts and bolts kind of way much less kind of the theory that you're putting forth and then you're going even beyond to the edge of that and saying look at this thing so i i feel a lot of excitement about it and i feel like you you know it's one of those places that's that's on a leading edge and there's a lot of the collective unconscious or the shadow around these things that has not emerged into the light yet i feel that in your passion around it you know it's like come on guys let's get on this and feeling the weight of this you know the rest of the iceberg that's still underneath the the level of our consciousness
1: yeah and that's in part why i sort of just follow the guidance right in the experience um i mean this for me, the experience of naming missing time found. Don't worry, it's just a dream. Like, oh my, like that is like, I'm pronouncing I found missing time. I, I was like, oh, it's like, it's like it's like it's is in part arrogant actually to like make that assertion, or it's beyond what I normally would want to do. And also saying it's just a dream. It's is that they're they're pushing me toward that, um, and I can't help but think this is architected intelligently that the the where the dreams are coming out of the shadow but we have uh, a way to receive it or be received by it and it's already been prepared and the one of the experiences i have and i, I want to talk a little bit about body marks actually yeah. um primarily because it, I mean, they, they're, they're in the book, but um, I listened to your podcast with Mike Cleland and and uh, he was like, you know, somehow Google got me associated with uh, owls and synchronicities and UFOs and my, my phones haven't stopped ringing since. And then they, the, the, the NHS were like, do that with body marks, do that now. And I was like, oh my God, I just did this with missing time. I wanted to take a break or whatever. So uh, the body marks, I, I present five body marks, Two, two body marks, I don't know half a dozen body marks in the um, in the missing time book. It's really just uh, dipping the toe into the experience. But these are highly geometric. They're the same geometry. The same geometry marks people's bodies in some cases, right in some cases as we see in the sky and it's not it's not hidden. It's not like oh look here and it's sort of this or that it's like perfect dots that are puncture wounds in a line that are set in the exact proportions as the phoenix lights which are perfect orbs that don't move over five minutes of videos look at the stabilized one don't believe that flare narratives just look with your eyes look at the footage yourself take one screenshot of the beginning middle and end line them up you know those orbs don't move and you know that, and because of that, we know that that is a geometric communication, and so it has the same kind of quality as these these body marks. And so I say, it's that that phenomenon out there, the Phoenix lights. We can know about it by the inner sacred experience, right? That inner sacred interiority of those experiencers with those marks, and they tell us. I mean, I've interviewed that their dream, like they're like, I don't know, some like tall gray was like lurking about in the bushes and like I had this thing happen on my leg and now it's like whatever. And that's the level of dreaming that we have about it. I had a series, I had the markets myself and I had a series of really weird lucid dreams associated with it. Uh, this is the reason why I know about geometry. They marked my body first on the summer solstice, on the winter solstice. They're like, okay. Follow they. I thought they wanted me to do something else, but and so I said yes, and then they they led me on a sort of not goose chase, uh, but like a on a journey to learn Euclidean geometry and apply it. So I, I just wanted to bring that up um, because it is rocking the boat. The next thing I am going to do is go through because the body mark is the generally the it's like 60% of the substantiating evidence for the physical narrative of the abduction. Right. And I'm not saying, because I'm challenging, I'm not challenging the experiencers that say they had physical abductions. I always say, okay, right. These are dreamlike. And I'm going to assume that the body mark experience is actually a stigmata, like psychosomatic thing. Unless you tell me otherwise, if you've got a memory, just tell me, I'd really appreciate that, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth. So and no one had actually been like, I remember someone scooping this. No one said that to me yet. I would love to talk to someone who actually has a physicalized memory to give me a kind of control experience. But most of the time people go, I have this weird dream-ish thing. I don't know. Maybe it was missing time. I don't know. They, they have that sort of vagueness about these experiences, but what they do have is the body mark. And if you look back to see how people talk about Hopkins and Jacobs, these UFO abduction researchers who have used body marks to substantiate the physical abduction narratives, the experiences complain about the same thing. They go like, I saw something. Was it a spaceship? I don't know. But Hopkins says it was, right? And so there's a sort of taking of a narrative when we say those, just because we can't explain why a physical mark is present in physical terms doesn't mean it has to be physical right? Doesn't mean we have to jump to these conclusions. And the sophistication of my argument says, if we jump to those conclusions, because of the psionic nature of the regression space, the shamanic space, we actually may create the possibility for those beings to physically enter our space retrocausally and do those actions if it if we weren't so like anal it wasn't so like hopkins and jacob's negativity if they worked with someone like me or you that's kind of more open or positive it might have been a beautiful arcturian coming back and doing an artistic expression in collaboration we don't actually know and i i i think that level of fluidity in terms of time is what we need to talk about in relationship with these spaces because these are clearly time-traveling craft, transmedium craft, and things like that. So I'm going to go back and retro, like do a a review of all the body marks, right? Of all the body marks that have substantiated the narrative that Hopkins and Jacobs put forward, is there geometry or not? Is it beautiful or not? What do we know about it does this look like medical does this look like that and i i mean i'm, I'm doing that work now this is the homework that they gave me uh after i finished the book i was like oh i'm done and they're like no actually do this this is very important you have to put this out you have to put this out as soon as you can and and go back and go straight through hopkins work it's, it's like the the source of this notion of physical abduction that that went wildfire in the 90s that made me terrified to look at my contact experiences until 2020, right? Like that's a huge impact these men have. I never talked to them. I never read their books. I was terrified of this. And I say they have based an interpretation of this body mark phenomenon on something that it's not substantial. Mac, Mac references the body marks. Jacobs references the body marks. And Mac stopped referencing the body marks all these researchers reference them and say, hey, there's marks in the body. There's not a lot of photos. They're publicly available right now. There's probably 24 photos of body marks that Bud Hopkins used, and that's it. And there's probably, I've encountered maybe 400 uh, different photos from social media or something like that. But we know about half of the experiencers who report UFO contact or ET contact actually report mysterious body marks as well. Half of them. So um, I don't know. That's where I'm at. That's why I needed to say that just to throw it in the the mix.
0: Yeah. The next leading edge, right? The next edge that you're being asked to approach by the NHI. And I wonder, and you don't have to answer this if you want to, if you want to just talk more about your work and less personally, so feel free to decline. But I wonder how you feel about being asked to do this work, this research that that is dismantling some things that, are, that have been held onto for a long time, and that you have, your per, have personal experiences that you have made sense of in some way, and that you've integrated in some way personally, and that you have your own ideas and beliefs about. And then the NHI are asking you to do this other research where you do have to, it sounds like you have to put those aside a little bit. So that you can try to stay objective and clearly follow this and because i think you've i've heard you say a couple times like this is where the research has landed i feel a little bit differently or or you know maybe did feel differently going into it like how does it feel just for you as a human in this body in the world to be asked to do these things um that are uh super edgy
1: yeah, thank you. Um, I asked to do them. I asked to do them before I came here. I I, uh, I feel, uh, I mean, I mean, the clients I talk to that have been very transformative to me. We have a soul connection. It, it, they tell me, I tell, it's like, it's, and it's, I, I don't think that's, that's wrong to admit, all right? Like, it's like, Mac, Mac says, it's not dual. It's, it's a non-dual interaction. It's not them and us or self or other. It's, it's both and, and all of those things. I asked to do that work. I had that destiny. I I wanted to be at the edge of knowledge when I was a kid. I thought that was being an astronomer, <laughs> so I had my like my little telescope looking for truth and beauty and and goodness out there. And then I had a whole journey, obviously, uh, to get here. Um, it is personally jarring to me. I mean, they are ready to work with me as soon as I'm ready to work with them, and in ways that are un nerving that is unnerving and i have spent a lot of time talking and processing and it just even i mean they're 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 kind they're kind the ones i work with are kind and smart and intelligent and creative and funny and all of those things and yet i'm just like oh my god like am i crazy is this real are they going to abduct me is this a, is this a evil a- ai gray alien PSYOP thing with the CIA. I don't know, but actually I do know because I can, I I, I have that discernment because i learned that discernment in dream practice. And so that's one of the things that is really important to know is that dream practice increases both insight and empathy. This comes out of science, insight and empathy. um, And that, by the way, everyone's universally able and empowered to do that. I talk about shamans. I talk about researchers. I talk about being on the edge. We're we're talking about that and talking about special connections with like UAPs or whatever. And everyone has that, I believe. Everyone is um, in these shamanic cultures. Everyone is understood to sort of holographically represent that principle, which is sometimes specialized in the role of a shaman. But that shaman isn't doing all your shamanic work all the time for you. It's like when you need that help. And so in that way, like I I sometimes work with other people to do regression, to have my regressions be done. And I talk about that in the book. So I'm really, you know, I asked to do it. Um, I sort of I right now I just sort of follow what they tell me to do a little bit. And that sound that might sound unnerving to some people, except for the fact that what I'm saying them. What is them actually? What is them? And if my theories are correct, if my theories are correct, they're us. We're them. We are it. We are dream characters in a greater mind that we can connect with and understand at the level of that mind. We already understand it. But at this place, it's kind of hard. So it's sort of, we need to generate enough rapport with that cosmic dreaming mind uh, to have trust in it and trust in ourselves and trust in the other dream characters um so these beings have come to me and they've sort of surprised me about the assignments the body mark thing is just they are they love doing that they love doing that i i literally think i finished the books I like missing time found. And then they did the body mark. And then I thought I finished writing it. And then they did another body mark while I was writing it. And then they give me another like insight. And so, so it opens more and, and they always go, ha ha ha, you know? So um, there's a lot of feelings around that. And I feel really hopeful. And I think that should we, as a collective turn within to this sacred inner journey and to this sense of dreams and reality being, equal yet different or symmetric in some way and to understand that we are we are the ones empowered universally empowered to make disclosure happen right it's not them out there it's us here doing this stuff literally and truly some of the more fantastic elements of our stories can have greater reality right like it's they're, they're changing the nature of our social reality if we talk about our dreams and dreamlike experiences and start working with them individually, when we start to work with our dreams, we have a whole bunch of healing. Actually, what ends up happening in the West is we have a whole bunch of nightmares and it's terrifying and we don't know what to do because we've not been trained. And, it's da, 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 da. and it takes a li- only a little bit of time and some handholding with people who have gone through the journey to go, you can do this too. And you start working with your dreams and you go, I'm trusting my shadow. I'm finding integration and I'm seeing magic happen in the world. Animals are... T- Showing up magically, situations are showing up magically. I'm seeing it ahead of time. I'm navigating this in this sort of dream space, and we get to a spot with this where we can uh, I believe it's around the mediation of fortune. That's the social role of dream work is the mediating individual and collective fortune. So we use that space. We bring it here, and we 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 do good for the world and each other, basically. So I think that's what's happening here. That, that's, that's really in line with my intentions and in vows. Uh, so all of this work is in the context of bodhisattva vow. All of this work is in context with my Buddhist practice, my dream practices and things like that. Um, I have kids, so I love my kids. I want them to grow up in a world where they're not afraid of abductions. And we're not still talking about issues we should have stopped talking about a century ago and started like exploring.
0: Incredibly inspiring. I again, I have I really could ask you another dozen questions. I want to be mindful of your time, but I it's very, very inspiring and it makes me I think it sort of eases me in and relaxes me into this into a deep intuition that I've had and and experiences that I've had where I've had I've had two experiences relatively recently where I looked around and it felt like waking life was a lucid dream and i was like oh holy shit <laughs> for, <laughs> for real for real this is you know that sort of nested reality that you're talking about these that there's a there's uh some that you know the word integration meaning you know like integrity like bringing something back mm-hmm. to wholeness these parts that have been splintered and separated and it's okay to talk about this but not that this is real, that's not real, that's so intrinsic in us in the West. It's just deeply, we're deeply conditioned to that. And so, deconditioning conditioning from that, bringing a wholeness back to perception and reality and experience, experiencing the dreamlike quality of reality and with the, you know, as the Buddhists would say, with the seatbelt of bodhicitta, you know, like for the benefit of everyone okay. to make the world a better place, realizing that if we can change reality in a lucid dream, we do have the potential to change reality in waking life if life is like a dream. Taking our our vows or just this, you know, just anyone's natural arising desire to do good in the world and running it through all these things that you're bringing forward has enormous potential and it feels really, really exciting. So thank you for sharing all of that. I have... Like I I truly would love to have you back um, to talk about more stuff because these conversations, it feels just like we could go in a million directions and get a lot of insight and, and information. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's it's an honor. Uh, I mean, I, I paid attention to the Experiencer Group and, and the Dream Group there. That was the place I turned to when last winter solstice, right? The Geometry mm-hmm. Dreams were coming to me. I was like a... a somewhat sweaty talking about it all the time mm. being like these people these dream people that I call them geometry lords for like uh well, I still do as it's kind of joking but they were like very fierce wrathful beings or whatever mm. at some aspect and they were like you know and it's like uh I got really sweaty talking about it being like is this real is this not is this real is this not is this dream and it's like I just needed to be with people mm. and that was the space I turned to and that really helped me in that way and I feel really grateful to uh, have you be one of the first people I talk to about the book, Missing Time Found. I can't imagine a better set of ears or uh, podcasts to like talk to because you, you're so open on the, the earth of love story. You're so connected with dreams. you uh, connected with the experiencer community. Um, and I really hope, I mean, like, personally, I hope you adv- advocate or let people know, like, it's no, no, I'm not just saying it's just a dream. There's more yeah. to it. Um, because yeah. that was one of the, the things I was most afraid about in writing the book was saying, as was alienating experiencers who had physical experiences, especially of ab- abduction. I, I have no desire to contradict their narratives. Mm-hmm. I just want to observe these are dreamlike experiences and it invites us to a greater path of engagement with reality. And that's, that's really all I want to say with that. So um, I think you'll help me uh, communicate that. And uh, just even being here with you now has helped that. So thank you.
0: I'm so glad. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, I think it's a very kind of high level, sophisticated argument, actually. It's, it requires engagement in order to not you know, my initial body reaction is like, oh, no, does he think it's just a dream? And it's, and of course, because I know you in these other ways, and I, you know, I trusted that. And immediately in the book, you're very clear about it. And it's, to me, there's like a little sense of humor there as well. You know, it's a little sense of like, I am this is how I'm going to bring you in. And then really quickly, you go to this really high level teaching that reality is like a dream. And that, uh, you know, I think that, the world needs high-level teachings right now. I think that we need to be able to be in paradox, move beyond the binary, edge closer to the non-dual as we like, take care of our physical bodies and don't bypass and you know, don't uh, forget that we are incarnate in some way and that that's a real experience for our beingness on this planet. If we can hold all of that and move towards a more sophisticated view, then that, then maybe we can get to this, whatever this is, whatever's coming up. You know, we need it. So thank you again. If you'd like more information on Daniel's work, please check the show notes. Special thanks to Morgan Jenks for our beautiful soundscapes. Thank you to the patrons who support this podcast. And thank you to you, dear listener, for engaging with this work. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be free. If you'd like more information about my work or to book a one-on-one session with me, please visit honeyheart.org.